Good morning. My name is Blake Dozier. I'm the associate minister here, and I get to preach this week because Chris is off in the mountains at Red River Family Encampment, hopefully enjoying some cool weather. Um, but am I good? Okay. But uh, I'll take the heat any day to have a chance to preach to y'all. So I am excited to be here in Texas where it's hot um, because I get to preach. Um, it always is a blessing to get to do this, and I thank y'all for it. I have a uh, unique signature that I leave on almost anything that I have ever painted. It's not always easy to find, but I can guarantee you it's always there if you know where to look. And I've made a habit of doing this on everything um, that, I've ever, that I've ever painted. If I was painting a canvas, which I probably would not do, um, I would leave the signature. If I'm painting a kitchen cabinet or a car or some sort of a trinket, that I built in the shop, you're going to find this signature, a fingerprint. Now, some of you are sitting there, and, and you're kind of thinking that that's a really weird thing to do. And the rest of you know exactly what I mean, because this isn't a purposeful signature. This is the signature of impatience. You can hand me a can of Krylon spray paint that dries to the touch in five minutes, and at four minutes, I'm going to test it because I think maybe it's done enough that I can pick it up. I've always, has, I've always struggled with impatience, and I, I found it prevalent in a lot of different areas in my life. Um, my wife, for instance, Brianna, can wait weeks for something to go on sale. But once I have something in my mind, and I think I need to buy it right now, when the light turns green, I expect the car in front of me to move immediately. When I order something online and I get a tracking number in my email, sometimes I think I check it 10 or 12 times before the package even gets picked up. Every time I'm like, well, is there an update? Is there an update? In fact, I have a package right now that says it's in New York, and it said that for three days, and surely it has moved. I need them to update the tracking info because I, I want stuff to get liver, delivered quickly. Or when the printer at the office doesn't work, all of a sudden I need everything printed now. And when I send someone a text message, I get antsy when I haven't gotten a response back immediately, especially if you've seen the little bubbles like they, or the little dots like they've started to type, but then they didn't respond. Or when I need a tool, I'm frustrated if it's not in stock locally and I have to order it. Or a lot of y'all can probably empathize with this. When you're on a long trip, I set my cruise control just a few miles over the speed limit, just enough that I think I can get by with. And it doesn't make much of a difference, but it sure does make me feel like I'm getting there faster. I could go on, but I think you get my point. Are y'all getting a little feedback? I think we're getting a little, do I need to take my headset off? Bring it in closer. I have this big bushy beard in the way. All right. All right, we better now? Okay. I didn't know if y'all had the patience to listen to me this whole time like that, all right? <laughs> Don't we all have a little bit of impatience in us? S cell, phones, <laughs> cell phones provide us with instant contact and information, and in doing so, they've caused us to forget how to wait. Amazon Prime introduced two-day shipping. And they totally changed the way that we do online commerce, but now we expect shipping to be free and fast from anyone that we deal with. In fact, I saw an article last week that said they were experimenting with same-day drone delivery in some parts of the nation. 
You know, we have planes and trains and automobiles that get us anywhere in the world that we want to go fast, whether it's the grocery store or to another country. We can get there with relative ease. In fact, we have gotten to where now a six-hour trip to see a family member feels kind of annoyingly long. We can type a question into a web browser, and we can get answers to almost anything immediately and with very little effort. No more trips to the library or searching for a local expert to get our question answered. And how annoying is it when the answer you want doesn't pop up on the first page and you have to click next? Okay, are you all with me on that? Impatience is an age-old problem that is highlighted and reinforced by our technology, much of which is designed to make things happen easier and happen faster. We see, however, from the beginning of time, people struggled with patience, including God's people. I wonder how we all would have been as Israelites. If you'd go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24, Uh, This will save us some time later, and I don't want to wait on you to turn there. (laughs) While you're doing that, I'll use our time super efficiently, and I'll catch you up to speed, okay? So God's chosen people, the Israelites, had just escaped slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses, and they had gone through a lot of different things. They had crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and they were following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to tell them where to go. They had been provided water from a rock when they were thirsty. They had been provided manna from heaven when they were hungry. And now they find themselves at the base of Mount Sinai. This begins about in Exodus 17, uh, 19. And, and here on Mount Sinai, God has spoken the Ten Commandments to them. They actually found this experience of hearing directly from God terrifying And so they asked Moses to step in and become kind of the in-between between them and God. And he was going to relay the messages to them from here on out. So God brings Moses up and he begins telling him the guidelines for how this newly freed nation should live. And in Exodus 24, Moses writes all of these rules down that God shares with them. And he calls it the book of the covenant. And he reads it to the people. And then Moses, Aaron... Nadab and Abihu, along with 70 of the elders, draw near, and the text tells us that they see God. It's at this point that God beckons Moses to come even closer so that he might receive the stones with the written commands on them. So Moses takes Joshua, and he leaves behind Aaron and her in charge of things, and we pick up in Exodus 24, 15 through 18. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights." The next seven chapters tell us all that God relayed to Moses during these 40 days and 40 nights. And this section is a little bit different than before. It's all about how they are to approach and worship and serve God. And at the end, God hands Moses the tablets of stone. There's some really cool stuff that's happening here in Exodus. Um, Some really interesting intersection of, 
of God and mankind. But the average Israelite couldn't see most of it. They just knew that Moses had disappeared into a scary cloud 40 days ago, and he hadn't come out. Now, 40 days is a long time. No food, no water, in the presence of God, who at that time to the Israelites would have been powerful, but also mysterious and a little bit terrifying to them. And I wonder what we would have been thinking were we in their shoes. You know, I feel like for the first couple of days, we would all be really excited, maybe a little bit awestruck at what was happening around us. Then we would probably lose a little bit of the awe and just wonder kind of what was going on. But you can imagine maybe a few weeks in, life would have kind of found a different pace, and whatever was happening up on the mountain would have become background noise. In fact, you would start wondering if anything special was happening up there. And at some point, you would look around and you would start thinking, well, we can't sit here for forever, can we? I mean, do we have a backup plan if this guy doesn't come down? Then at some point after enough time has passed, there would almost be a panic. I mean, do you know how many people are here? What happens to us when we have no leader and we get attacked? What happens when we run out of water again? What, what is about to happen? You know, I think we can all empathize with what the Israelites were feeling in this moment. Let's read what the text says happens in Exodus 32, 1 through 6. Chapter 32, 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the, out of, up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord, to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You know, I would like to think that I would do different, but I'm not sure that I would. I mean, I can't even let paint dry. The Israelites' impatience manifested itself in idolatry. And I want to spend some time unpacking this to see what we can learn. You know, when I was in the third grade, my teachers started to realize that I couldn't see the board well. I'm sure they would have picked up on it sooner had I been smarter, but by the third grade, I, there were things that I should have been getting that I wasn't getting, and it was worth exploring some options, and so we tried this one. They took me to the eye doctor, and after a quick trip and some killer dork sunglasses that made me look super cool like my dad. I was right back to average. I am nearsighted, and so that means that I can see things clearly that are very close, but I can't see much of anything that is far away without my glasses on. You know, that's impatience in a nutshell. It's the diagnosis that 
Israel suffered with. They were nearsighted. Their vision stopped at what was right in front of them. See, I see three primary ways that their vision was blurred, that impatience emerged, and that poor choices were made. Misplaced credit, replaced focus, and misnamed worship. Let's look at misplaced credit first. You know, this is one of the first things that I notice when I read our text. It seems that they thought Moses was the provider and guide. Exodus 32.1 tells us that the people say, As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Now, I wonder, did they really believe this? I mean, Moses was the point person, sure, but there were so many things that happened that cannot be explained by a mere mortal's involvement. I think they did believe that this was the case because it's really easy to do. In fact, we do it quite often. How do we misplace credit today? Well, in a similar fashion, we believe that we accomplish things that God does. Let's take that technological marvel in your pocket. Most of you probably have a smartphone with you. What did God have to do with that? You know, we often look at something like a phone and we see all of the human engineering that's gone into it, and it makes us feel like it's our work. But who knit Steve Jobs together in his mother's womb? What about the thousands of scientists who paved the road for technology that's allowed for batteries and circuit boards and touchscreens? Who knit them together? Who gave them the opportunity and exposed their ideas to business minds who understood how to market them and do something productive with them? Or I could take it a step further. Who provided the great minds that figured out the machinery and the processes to extract the raw materials from the earth that are required? Copper, lithium, nickel, gold, silver, aluminum, silica? And that brings me to the next question. Who provided the raw materials in the first place? Who gave us this sandbox to play in? How often we take credit for God's handiwork. Just because God uses a person doesn't mean he isn't involved. So our vision can become blurred when we attribute God's handiwork to men and we start thinking that we can provide things we cannot. But Israel did more than just misplace the credit. They also replaced their focus. When Moses couldn't be seen, they lost faith and they made something that could be seen. They were quick to replace God. They gathered jewelry and fashioned an idol. And the text says in Exodus 32, 4, And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The people somehow took these gods that just showed up and tried to make them responsible for everything that had just happened to them. This requires a real disconnect with reality. Not only was this God a ring on mama's finger just yesterday, it wasn't even in existence three months ago when they were hungry and food showed up from heaven, or they were thirsty and water came out of a rock. You see, the desire to have something tangible in front of them overrode all of their reason and, and logic. 
They needed something that they could see and touch and hold and smell, and they were willing to be unreasonable to get it. Which makes me wonder, how do we replace our focus? You know, as long as we believe man is ultimately responsible for something, it's easy to take a creation of man and make it our focus. We start to think that because we have taken something God has provided and and reshaped it, that it's somehow worthy of worship. So while we know that the cell phone in our pocket will be obsolete in two years, we start to think that we can't live without it. And it becomes something more than what it truly is. All it is is a representation of what human minds God has created can do with the raw materials that God has provided. But instead, for us, these things become a God themselves, something that we worship and rejoice over and look to as the things that are going to provide us with comfort and protection and the hope that we desire. Misplaced credit coupled with replaced focus turns into misnamed worship. Now, this point is a little easier to miss, but I think that it's important. Let me explain what I mean. The leader in Moses' absence was Aaron, and Aaron knew that this calf that he had made was not the Lord, but he tried to use tricky language to make it okay. He tried to pretend like their worship that was directed towards an idol was still going to God. Aaron misnamed their worship. Look at Aaron's words in Exodus 32, 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. He knew that calf wasn't the Lord, but he thought he could make it okay if he used the right words. Church, this wasn't okay with God. Misplaced worship is corruption. As we read on in verse 7, the text tells us, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You know, this is a, a particular danger to church leaders who see the misplaced faith, but think that speaking words of truth around it is what matters. But it applies to all of us as well. You know, we can say the right things, but God knows our heart. We know it's unreasonable to worship material things, dead idols that can provide nothing, but when we catch ourselves doing it, the easiest thing to do is just to give lip service to God while changing nothing about the direction of our hearts. So we say, praise God for all that He's provided, but in our hearts, our our comfort is coming from the things that we have assembled, and we aren't focused on Him at all. God isn't okay with giving something else the credit for what only He can do. And God isn't okay with filling our spiritual needs with a lifeless, powerless idol. And God isn't okay with empty words of worship. In fact, God was ready to destroy His people for their short-sighted idolatry of impatience. Let's read Exodus 32, 9 through 10. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. So why didn't God destroy them? Well, when we read on, the text tells us, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, 
O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger. Relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster he had spoken of bringing on his people. God doesn't destroy them because God had made a promise. And his promise extended way beyond what was seen. God is patient. And God sees the big picture. So thousands of years later, what does this matter to you? You know, in a sense, Israel was flying blind, but you have a lot more information than they did. You've seen God work in powerful ways through Scripture, from delivering Israel to the culmination of His promise in Jesus Christ. You think 40 days was a long time? The world had to wait another 1,500 some odd years for complete revelation. Yet here we are on the other side of history, and not only has Moses come down from the mountain, Jesus has come down and He's delivered the final Word of God and He's left His Holy Spirit behind to lead this people in truth. So I ask the question, do we even have anything to be patient for? And even as I ask it, Many of you know the answer because you're wrestling every single day. Hurry, God. Hurry and let this trial pass. Hurry, God, and give me clarity so I can understand. Hurry, God, and and work this out. Hurry, God, and, and take away this pain. Hurry, God, and bring me a spouse or give me a child or help me understand. Hurry, God, and and fix this mess because it's ugly and and it hurts and I'm not sure how much longer I can take it. And then then we wait. Seems like an eternity. 40 minutes, 40 days, 40 years. And even though we've seen the power of God, And even though we have all the evidence in place to allow us to confidently trust in Him, even though we know we're short-sighted and we catch ourselves saying the right things like Aaron, but looking towards dead and empty and powerless idols like the people, and we're so impatient. And I think here is how it happens. We we start by saying to ourselves, I'm not sure what's going on on that mountain, so I'm going to gather some jewelry. I'm not sure what God is doing here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gather some doctors around me. I've seen doctors do some cool things. I'll get myself some health insurance, and we'll have a little surgery and maybe some pills, and, and I think maybe we can fix our health problems and buy God some time. I'm not sure what God is doing here, but, you know, if I just had a retirement account, we could give him some space to work. And I think if we get really smart, we can have some security. And so we gather some of this in. And then we see sports. Oh, man, that's going to give us a reason to celebrate. That's going to give us something to fill the time. That's going to be fun. That can, that can be part of the, the solution. And we bring in our electronics, our phones and our devices that are going to make life better. And then we, we gather up our vehicles because that's going to make us feel really good every morning when we pull up to work. 
And we exert a lot of effort into this house where we can turn on the AC and we can set our feet up and we can relax and we can escape from life. And we set our sights on this upcoming vacation where we can get away and we can find some relief. And, and soon before we even realize what has happened, we're surrounded by idols. And we sing and we dance and we think things are fine. But oh, how nearsighted we are because they will never provide us what we need. It wasn't wrong for the Israelites to have jewelry. It was wrong for them to fashion it into an object of worship. It was wrong for them to put their hope and focus on those things. There is nothing worthy of worship save God alone. There was a a large department store It had an escalator in the middle because it was two stories. And one day there was a sales lady working there, and she noticed that there was this little boy down at the base of the escalator, and he was looking really intently. And so she walked up to him, and I mean, he was almost frozen, and she kind of got his attention, but he wouldn't hardly look away from the escalator. She said, hey, little buddy, you know, are are you lost? Can I help you with something? And the boy, without taking his eyes off the moving stairs, said, no, ma'am. I'm just waiting for my chewing gum to come back. (laughs) That little boy was observant enough to understand that what he wanted would be around in just a little bit. I want to remind you what's around the corner. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. There 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 shall there be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, we aren't there yet, but we will be soon. The day when God will live with us again and all that is right will be wrong. Or look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen eternal you know our problem is that we forget that this is light and momentary we feel like it's heavy and forever but it's transient and ahead lies eternity for which we're being prepared Patience, church, patience. Look at James 5, 7 through 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't throw away something great because you can't wait. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, said this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, 
because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Just like Israel, we often turn to mud pies in a slum when infinite joy sits right around the corner. Some of you are holding on by a thread and it's hard to see ahead and it doesn't seem worth it and you're slowing, slowly being drawn to other things because they seem to provide that immediate fix that you think you need. Patience, church. Patience. Don't trade the God who parted the Red Sea, who provided water from a rock and bread from heaven for a shiny calf made from your jewelry. Don't trade the God who gives you life and breath and everything. The God who defeated death through Jesus Christ and offers you life everlasting. Don't trade Him for the fleeting pleasures of this world, for a, a game or a thing or a place or a person's affection. They sent me home from the eye doctor with glasses, as you can see. With a little correction, everything became clear. You know, we're all nearsighted, but God has provided us with corrective lenses to help us see. First, He has given us His Word, where He tells us everything we need to know. He tells us what is true. You need to spend time in your Bible. Second, He has given us people to encourage us and hold us accountable. You need to be with God's people. I'm thankful that you're here this morning listening to this message, but you need more than a sermon. You need a community of believers around you. You know, being together is important, but it isn't just a checkbox item. This is a life-given given blessing. We are family, and we help each other stay focused. And finally, He's given us His Spirit so that we could live with courage and so that the depths of our cries that reach beyond words could be spoken to God. This happens when we pray. If you are struggling with the idolatry of impatience, the prescription is this. Time in God's Word, time with God's people, and time in prayer. I believe you will find hope comes into focus, and when hope is in focus, joy manifests itself now. Patience, church. Don't lose focus. It's our custom to offer an invitation. If you are struggling with patience and need encouragement, we would love to put our arm around you and pray for you. If you have studied and you understand the magnitude of Jesus and would like to partner with him, the waters of baptism are ready. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.